produces such much more enjoyable uh, working environments than if everyone's very like stoic <laughs> and repressed and you know serious about what we're doing because quite honestly you know like choreographing sex is funny you know it's it's all it, it is it's going to be and I think you should really kind of like push into that and enjoy it welcome back to the well now what podcast I'm your host Savannah Today, I interview the intimacy coordinator from Bridgerton. If you haven't heard of Bridgerton, what are you doing? It's a Netflix series, and if you haven't heard of it, I'll give you a synopsis. So it follows Daphne Bridgerton, the eldest daughter of the powerful Bridgerton family, as she makes her debut onto Regency London's competitive marriage market. Hoping to follow in her parents' footsteps and find a match sparked by true love, Daphne's prospects initially seem to be unrivaled. It's nothing like I've seen before, and I love how forward-thinking the show is, even though it's filmed in a different era. Like, one of my favorite characters is Eloise. She's definitely a feminist of her time, and she's so funny, and if you've seen it, you know what I mean. I actually watched the series twice, and the second time I made my boyfriend watch it, and he actually really loved it. He thought it was really funny and romantic, too. Um, but yeah, Lizzie was so lovely chatting with her. She talks all about intimacy coordination, the history of it, how she got into it, and kind of debunks some misconceptions of myths, because I know when I first heard of intimacy coordination, I had, you know, no idea what it was, and I didn't realize that there are now rules and regulations surrounding it, so I learned a lot, so I hope you enjoy this episode. Also, Lizzie does do some online training workshops, and I'll have all the links below of her training workshops on how to do intimacy coordination. But let's get straight into the interview. I'm here with the lovely Lizzie Talbot. She is an intimacy coordinator and intimacy director for both film and stage. Her latest project, Bridgerton, has taken the world by storm. 82 million households have watched the series and it's projected to become one of the most watched Netflix original series. That's crazy. And Bridgerton's highly talked about sex scenes have been on everyone's mind. But the relatively new role of intimacy coordinator is still largely unknown outside of the industry. I absolutely loved and binged the series within a few days. The acting, the decor, the concept of the show, they were so good. And the intimate scenes and chemistry between the main characters were so beautiful. And a lot of that magic was choreographed by Lizzie. So I'm really excited to chat with her today. I know, Lizzie, you've had a really busy and long week. So I just appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I will get straight into it. So you were in stunt and fight coordination beforehand, before intimacy. Um, So how did you transition? And um, I know that the whole industry of intimacy coordination wasn't as popular or known back then. So how did you figure out that, like, I want to go into that? Well, as a field and as a profession, it didn't exist at that point. No one was hiring anyone to do either of those things back in 2015. I started as a sort of fight director. And along the way, I started to notice that scenes of violence had safety protocols and techniques that we would use to keep actors safe. But scenes of intimacy really lacked that. And there weren't any protocols. And there wasn't a like map for directors and actors to follow. And they would often cause far more stress and anxiety than scenes of violence, which was really interesting to me. So I started researching it and um, I opened my own company in 2016. That's incredible. Yeah. So getting, getting hired and finding new roles, how did you 
pitch yourself? As you said, it wasn't common to have an intimacy coordinator. So how did you tell um, production companies, directors, whatever, that this is really necessary to have? So for a long time, we sent emails with no replies. <laughs> All people being like, thank you, but no thank you. Like the industry's not going to change. Um, we'll call you. <laughs> and that, that sort of thing. And so it was really fascinating and like quite honestly exhausting in the first couple of years. And I think it's important to clarify at this point that I had no idea that this was ever going to be a paid role. When we started this, it was literally like educational workshops to say, you know, hey, I think we can do better with scenes of intimacy. I think we can put some protocols. And it was actually useful having the fight background because it was easy to equate the two sort of, I won't say professions because like I said, that this profession as it was doesn't exist. Um, but it was easy to sort of equate the idea that there was um, safety and techniques for fight and potentially there should be the same thing. And the difference between them was that any trauma or damage in fights was very visible. You can see if someone's had a broken leg, um, you can see if someone like, you know, gets hit in the head, you know, it's all very visible. And so people are so much more careful with it. But because so much of the damage and the trauma with intimacy scenes was done via like, or it was invisible, it was so much harder to quantify and to say, look, this needs to be addressed until of course the Me Too movement. Right. Yes. So now there are there more rules and regulations in place who gets to make those. And as you said, um, a lot of, if there is damage, it's invisible. You can't really see it. It's more emotional. So how do you navigate those challenges with rules and regulations? Sure. So we sat down with Equity Intimacy Working Group in the UK and started to establish some uh, protocols and procedures there. And I know that there's a group of intimacy coordinators in the States who did the same with SAG. And so you start to produce like protocols surrounding what the expectations are for scenes of intimacy. And that was really useful because it, it gave people something to, to work from. So it was like, ah, okay, this is the definition of this. Interesting. You know, like I might not have known that or, oh, okay, this is what an intimacy coordinator does or, or could do for my production. Um, and with regards to sort of like the invisible damage, well, on our training program, we all have to have like mental health first aid um, and as many sort of like additional skill sets to, to deal with that. I will clarify something here. Like we're not on set therapists. That's not our job. Um, we're not psychologists. And so I think that that's a, a really important factor to consider in this, that um, we are there to prevent any trauma occurring. And if there is for some unexplained reason, some trauma occurring, then we are able to deal with it in the moment. But in to distinguish between personal and professional is really important for us. So we don't want to blur the lines by becoming the onset therapist. And right. so um, we are there to deal like in a crisis situation, but then make sure that we have enough information to move those people along to the correct support networks. Right. Okay. And, and I know that you've brought this up in several other interviews that you really value the importance of body autonomy and mm -hmm. how it's important to respect other people's boundaries and consent. It can be retractable if someone's not comfortable. So if an actor is feeling quite nervous about a specific scene, how do you go about that? How do you make them a little bit more comfortable? Well, I think if you don't know what's going to happen, you're going to feel nervous because we all have the fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. So Part of it is to just sort of meet that head on, get the scene, break it down, talk about, 
any reservations that people have, make sure that we're not crossing anyone's boundaries if we need to. Um, and we'll take those into consideration when we're creating the choreography. I will never turn up with choreography and be like, this is what we're doing. Sorry if you don't like it. It's all created consensually with everyone in the room. Nice. Yeah. So how early on are you usually brought on into projects? Um, I would love to be brought on a lot earlier than we often are. Uh, it was amazing being brought on so early in Bridgerton because we had so much lead up time. Um, we had plenty of rehearsals with, with the intimate scenes, which was amazing. Um, basically, I want to be there with enough time to have rehearsals before the day. I'm really not super comfortable doing rehearsals on the day. I'd much prefer to do them in advance. And then actors have time to think about it. Awesome. Yeah. And what are some other big misconceptions about your industry? I know that I feel like most people think that because actors maybe are intimate in their personal lives, they're able to replicate it. But those are very different things. So are there other misconceptions that you're usually presented with? Yes. Um, a lot of people think that we come from the adult entertainment industry. <laughs> that's uh, that's <laughs> quite a common one. <laughs> um, or that... Um, we are purely there as um, an advocate and actually our, the main portion of our role is the choreography because we are all technically choreographers at heart. That's what we do. Um, the advocacy is part of our role. But my hope is that in five years time, it's a, it's a much smaller part of our role because my hope is that the industry will be producing and will have been teaching people how to be advocates for themselves and other people and we'll be bringing in industry standards where people feel safe. Yes, I really hope to see that too. And I can imagine your job can be really emotionally taxing and draining because long days on set, you're choreographing, you're trying to re replicate these very intimate scenes and also you're trying to protect someone's mental health. So what do you do when you've had a really long day, you're emotionally exhausted and how do you kind of recharge? So I always like to go for a walk with my dog. I'll find somewhere, I'll find the most remote place that I can mm -hmm. um, that's fairly safe. And I'll take my dog and I will go for a walk and I will listen to like an audible book. And I really love doing that. It just allows me to just decompress, switch off from the world. I'm terrible with screens. My screen time is probably very high. So this, um, <laughs> this forces me not to do that. Uh, I've got to keep an eye on my dog. She's a bit of a rascal. <laughs> so, I've, uh, so I've got to kind of, uh, you know, be, be present in that. But it also is just such a, a way for me to like wind down being outdoors. Yes, yes. self-care is very, very important. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to talk about Bridgerton. And do you remember what it was like when you were first presented the script? And then when you booked it, um, what were you thinking? Yeah, um, it was really interesting because I actually hadn't really heard of the novels before. And so I said to my mum, because I was away at the time and I had a, I didn't have like a, a Kindle with me and I, I, there wasn't a bookshop anywhere near. So I texted my mum and I said, oh, can you read the series um, or just the first book and let me know what you think? And she texted me back a couple of hours later being like, oh, I think you're going to be busy. I was like, oh, really? Because I was, cause, you know, it's Regency. It's that Jane Austen yes. um, era. So I was really considering that it was going to be um, a very, like, you know. PG. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. You know, maybe a romantic kiss, maybe the insinuation mm -hmm. of more. Um, but but nothing to the extent that when I read the scripts, I was like, oh, wow. Oh, this is, <laughs> this is something new. Um, and so... 
it was it was just a really interesting journey and then I got home and read the books myself and yeah it I just I think the world at the time we had no idea the impact that it would have we had a very strong Brazilian fan base we knew that that was like one of the knowns going into it these books are incredibly popular in Brazil Okay. And the Brazilian community have supported Bridgerton so hard all the way through. So we knew we had fans there, but that's really all we knew. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I was going to ask, how has the cast, the production crew and kind of everyone dealt with this instant fame? I imagine no one would have thought that the series would reach 82 million households in less than a month. I can only, I can only sort of speak for me, but mm-hmm. when I, when we were first at the reform club, it was day one, first day we were filming. And I walked into the reform club and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> We're going all out on the sets here. And of course, mm-hmm. like the costumes are so amazing and the, the hair and makeup is just incredible. Um, and we got to see some of the most amazing locations. I mean, all of episode six was filmed, you know, at Castle Howard. And yes. And so that, at that point I was starting to wake up to the fact of like, oh, this, this might be big. This mm-hmm. might be big, but obviously we had no idea that it would take off in the way that it, the way that it did. Yeah. Do you, do you ever experience like imposter syndrome? Like everyone is, is wanting to interview because you've done such beautiful work. Do you ever doubt yourself or, you know, feel not confident about it? All the time, mm-hmm. all the time. And it took me a, a long time and I still struggle with it enormously, but it took me a long time to sort of think, actually, no, you know, you've been doing this for years now you know what you're doing. You, you can make a difference here. And I've heard that Bridgerton's renewed for a second season. What are your feelings around? Are you excited? Are you nervous? Because maybe that you, you know now that like 82 million households are watching um, or are you just kind of going about it how you did the first season? I think they'll be in such capable hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sh- Shondaland is it, you know, that, that's where it's um, supported from. And mm-hmm. they've done such a great job with season one that I've got no doubt that they all smash it again for season two. Yes, I'm really excited for season two. But I'm curious to know, how was your overall experience working on Bridgerton? Obviously, it's a really big Netflix series and it's in a different era. You got to film in some really cool places. Yeah. So how was your overall experience? Hey, everyone, just popping in to say that if you like this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts that really helps people find it, as well as follow me on Instagram at Podcast. If you like Bridgerton or like this episode, send me a DM or comment on my latest photo. I'd love to hear your thoughts around it. Okay, now back to the interview. It was really incredible watching so many people pull together because it was a long shoot. And we were in so many different locations and people were really tested. Uh, But every time everyone worked together as a team, we were all pulling in the same direction uh, to make it happen. And that was like really great to be in that sort of environment. I think obviously we had no idea that it would be as popular as it it was, but it was certainly an eye-opening experience realizing that romance was such a undiscovered like sector or like you know area of yes. the um uh, you know of, of viewing because you know we we haven't really seen people dive into sort of romance in the, in the same way before I don't think it's all been sort of like either action or maybe mm-hmm. it's been a bit of thriller um but to see like a regency romance 
become number one in so many countries has just been very like surprising and enjoyable. Yeah, totally. And I think with COVID, a lot of people have been feeling lonely. Everyone's been locked in at home and the series has been a form of escapism. It allows you to just dive into another world. And I know me for me personally, I absolutely love the series. I binged it in a few days. And honestly, I don't usually like Regency eras, but this one was so good. The romance was incredible. Um, I'm definitely going to check out and read the books too. And I was wondering, when you work with actors, not necessarily Bridgerton, and they mm -hmm. first meet for the first time, how do you kind of create that emotional connection? Like, what are some first things before you go straight into some intimate scenes? Sure. I mean, it's, it's probably likely that they will have met each other before they're in the scenes with me. Mm -hmm. um, not always, but, but most of the time. And so I think it's just really important to um, speak to them separately first. That way they can let me know if there's anything that I need to be aware of when creating choreography. Um, but just sort of like um, spending time together and getting to know one another and making you know sure that everyone feels comfortable with the other person. Um, we tend to have like a lot of you know like um, chats, and I really run my sessions with a lot of humor. Like I love to have fun. That's what I really love to do, and I think that that produces such a much more enjoyable uh, working environment than if everyone's very like stoic <laughs> and repressed and you know serious about what we're doing because quite honestly you know like choreographing sex is funny you know it's it's all it, it is it's going to be and I think you should really kind of like push into that and enjoy it yes totally and what's been some of the, your favorite scenes that you were able to choreograph on Bridgerton I think there's a couple uh, I really enjoyed working with Johnny and Sabrina, who are Anthony and Sienna, um, they had a lot of really fun scenes together. and We laughed a huge amount. Um, and there's one scene in the episode, in the first episode, where the character of Sienna is lying on Anthony and there is light streaming through the window. And the set is just beautiful and the light's beautiful and they, they look incredible together and the colors are just gorgeous. And so like that was a real sort of like wow moment for me of like, this looks romantic. It looks sexy. It looks intense. It looks beautiful. Um, they look so comfortable together. Mm -hmm. And that was a really lovely moment. And then with Phoebe and Reggae, I mean, we did, we did so, so much with them. And I think, you know, day one was, a, was a, I will always remember that, you know, we were in the reform club. We had rehearsed, you know, Phoebe was up the ladder. And yeah, it was just, it, it was just such a, Oh, an interesting scene to start with um, because it really yes. sort of set the tone for the next <laughs> however many months. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm curious, like, do actors wear, um, I think they're called modesty garments or how, how do actors go about that to, to be protected, covered? Yeah, for sure. So they all wear modesty garments. Mm -hmm. um, whenever they are appearing nude, the chances are that they have got some sort of covering. And that's affixed through various ways whatever the actor is comfortable with. Mm. Um, and they're sort of, you know, the best way to describe them is really sort of like a health and safety equipment. Right. You right. know, really, that, that's, that's probably what it boils down to. Yes. And have you yourself ever acted um, before? And do you ever want to? Or do you just hope to stay into intimacy direction coordination? I much prefer to stay behind the camera. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. where I'm far more comfortable. Uh, I obviously like acted just a little bit um, when I was sort of growing up and um, I went to university to study it, but it's always been sort of more interesting to me to sort of see how it all comes together. 
I trained as a director for a while and obviously I've done sort of movement and fight work. Um, and I really sort of love being part of the process. I really love being like a supportive creative and coming in and helping directors achieve their creative vision. Yeah, that's awesome. And do you have any mentors in your industry or other people that you look up to? Yeah, definitely. There's an intimacy coordinator in New York called Tanise. They're uh, incredible at what they do. Um, and they've been a massive sort of inspiration to me, like over the past year or so. And Tanya Sina, who um, actually started writing about intimacy direction in 2005, I think. And she's been very influential in the whole intimacy journey for, for, for so many people. And I'm wondering what's on your like bucket list or list of things that you'd love to do in your career that you'd love to take off. So you've done a Netflix series. Is there anything else that you're aspiring to do in your career? I love fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, So the more of that I get to do, the better. I love doing historical dramas. Um, So the more of that I get to do, I've done some some sort of like thriller and suspense stuff now, which is really enjoyable too. Um, I think I would love to do something medieval. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd really enjoy doing something medieval at this point, something like British and medieval. That sounds awesome. And I just Mm -hmm. have a last question Um, in terms of the industry growing. And I know that I've seen that you've Mm -hmm. done some training workshops. Um, Are you hoping to Mm -hmm. see more people in the space? Uh, Where do you hope to see intimacy coordination and direction? I think it's going to be really important for the industry to grow because as it has been, it's sort of just evolved without a whole lot of direction. And I think that we need to see far more inclusivity in the profession, um, people from all walks of life. And I think it's on you know us to encourage that and to make space for that. Yeah. And I think, as I said, I think where I see this role in five years time, it, it's got to be sitting in the choreography. I think if if we're the ones whose main responsibility or sole responsibility it is to advocate for actors, I think we'll have failed because I, that that thermometer of advocacy just has to rise. You know, like we we all have to get better at that. And it would be amazing if in five years' time, I mean, I I accept that it will always be a small part of our role, but it would be amazing if in five years' time, you know, everyone ha- is so informed of advocacy work and everyone feels safe and comfortable to advocate for themselves and for other people if necessary. Well, thank you so much, Josie. I am so excited to see what you do in the future. What you're doing is so great. Um, It's definitely an industry that needs to be brought up in more films. Even when I think of, the first time I heard of Intimacy Coordinator, I think it was on Normal People. I'm not sure if you saw the, mm-hmm. the TV series, but that's when I first, it came to mind. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know, I had no idea this existed. And then with Bridgerton, I'm like, this is amazing. I need to have an Intimacy Coordinator on. So thank you so much. The work that you're doing is incredible. And for anyone who hasn't seen Bridgerton, I don't know what you're doing. You need to watch it right away. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for the support. And that was Lizzie. Thanks so much for listening. I'll leave all her links of her Instagram, her website, and her training workshops if you're interested in becoming an intimacy coordinator, just kind of learning more about it. And follow me on my Instagram at wellnowatpodcast. I'm curious to know if you watched Bridgerton, what did you think of it? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Let me know. Anyways, I will see you guys next week.